It's important to understand what it means to be found in Christ, to have our identity secure in him. Why? Because he is not protected from physical harm. He's writing this letter from a jail cell. Why is he in jail? Because he has proclaimed that Jesus is Lord within the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire, what they understand is that Caesar is Lord. So you're going to say Jesus is Lord. Well, you're going to go to jail or you're going to lose your life for that. And not only that, not only is Paul writing from prison, writing from a place of suffering, but he's writing to people who are also either experiencing suffering or about to experience suffering and persecution. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Sam. I'm the host for this show. If this is your first time listening, we're so excited that you're engaging with what God is doing at Life Church Canton. Um, and if you've been here for a while, thanks for keeping tuning in. Um, this week is week number three of a series that we're calling Christian Privilege. And in this series, we're kind of looking at um, the, the privileges that we have as Christians, the, the rights that we have to draw near to who God is and what he has for us. And in this, this particular message, Jared's kind of asking the question, what is your identity um, built around? And last week, Nathan kind of talked about the things that we're told to build our identity around, right? Our success, our degrees, our awards, our accolades, um, those can be distractions um, for what is what is truly important in Christ. And I think this message is a great piggyback off of what Nathan had to say last week. So this message is called Found in Him, uh, Jared's Preaching, and I hope that you guys enjoy. Here he is. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Good. Welcome to Life Church. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to say welcome to anybody watching on Facebook Live as well. At any point throughout the message, if you want to ask a question or make a comment, you're certainly welcome to do that. Before we go any further, I just want to draw attention to my shirt. I just want to talk briefly about it. Don't focus so much on this little golden or maize M. I, I'm not from here, so I'm indifferent. I'm a neutral fan, okay? So don't judge me for that. All right, here we go. <laughs> Just let me get through the message and then we can talk about it, okay? Uh, what I want to draw attention to, oh, though, is uh, to bring light of Black History Month and, and appreciation of history and a, and a true understanding of history. And so I was given this uh, shirt. I was given by a friend and brother in Christ, Andrew. I think I even saw him walk in here. And, uh, and so what they're doing at the University of Michigan right now is their theme is the 1619 Project. And there's more information that I'd love to share uh, with you about that. Uh, but come and see me in the lobby. And Andrew, I might, uh, wherever you are, just come stand next to me and we can talk about it together if you're interested in learning more. Uh, so I'm excited about what we're doing as a church to continue to grow in our understanding. Uh, we are in a series called Christian Privilege, and, uh, and I'm going to talk more about that in just a second, but I think it's also important to acknowledge that something happened a couple days ago. Happy belated Valentine's Day to you all. All right, can I get a shout if you like Valentine's Day? Yeah, okay. Uh, I, I'm personally not a fan. I, I don't really enjoy Valentine's Day all that much. Now, trust me, I, I took care of my wife. I loved my wife well. I took her to sushi for lunch, and that was good enough for us. Um, but here's the reason is uh, I don't like the fact that our culture has justified a way to commercialize love and intimacy and relationships. But even on top of that, if I sit at home and I'm watching TV throughout the month of January and into February, every other commercial, I've got to see my name on it. <laughs> Ask Jared. He went to Jared. So forever, my name is associated with expensive jewelry on Valentine's Day. I don't like it. 
But even more so, even more so specifically, as a person of faith, I don't like what Valentine's Day has done to relationships. It's created these sort of false expectations of what relationships are supposed to look like, right? Of what we expect in our relationships. And if you've seen the movie even, uh, Jerry Maguire, right? Many years ago, Jerry Maguire says to Renee Zellweger, you complete me, right? And, and we, we joke about it, but we kind of hope for that. We sort of expect that in our relationships. We want that other person to complete us. And it's just a false expectation of what relationships are supposed to be in Christ. It's this idea that this other person makes me the best version of myself, the fullest version of myself, the perfect version of myself. And it doesn't happen. Relationships are incomplete. I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer for us today, but relationships are incomplete because people are incomplete. This is actually at the heart of the message that we heard this last week from Pastor Nathan, this idea that everything is a loss, or if I could add my own words, everything is incomplete compared to what? The surpassing greatness of knowing Christ my Lord. Everything is incomplete. Well, what is everything? Well, he did a great job of of showing us all the different things that he accomplished and achieved over the years. He brought up different uh, degrees and medals, and he even burned a degree at one point. Now, he did that all four services, so hopefully by now you know that that wasn't the real one. That was just a copy, okay? So I just want to make sure that nobody's nervous about that. He said, everything is a loss. All of these accomplishments and these medals. Well, I thought since he got an opportunity to list off his achievements, I would take my own opportunity to list my achievements as well. I don't know why you're laughing. You don't think I have achievements. I don't know what the deal is with that. No, I, so I got a medal of my own, right? I got a medal because I was voted high school senior prom. You're welcome. Well, that's about all my accomplishments, so... No, but he said, everything is a loss. All of our achievements, all of our medals, all of our degrees, all of our titles, everything is a loss. Everything is incomplete compared to knowing Jesus. And we're going to continue on looking at that in Philippians chapter 3. Now, he talked about this idea of everything being a loss, and we see that in verse 8. Uh, but then that actually carries us into verse 9. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to go there. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screens and you can follow along in that way. But I'm going to take the last sentence or the last portion of verse 8 because verse 9 actually starts with and, and it's not really a complete thought. So we've got to bring the previous thought into the sentence. Verse 8, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Everything is a loss. Everything is incomplete except for knowing him and being found in him. It's a powerful statement, to be found in him. If, if we could say, you complete me to anybody, it's to Jesus, Right, to be found in him. Let's talk about what that means. Now, oftentimes, we pray uh, to have Jesus in me. Right? We even do that uh, after gatherings here. We invite you to, to sort of ask Jesus into your life, into your heart. If you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard this phrase, that Christ is in me, in us. 
And there's a good reason for that. We see that all throughout the New Testament, about eight different places where it talks about this idea of Christ being in us. But now, it's just a little bit different. Now we're talking about being found in him. So just a little bit different. So for Christ in me, that's good and it's very personal, but for us to be in Christ, it's a little bit of a different flavor there. It's this idea that it's much more a we than a me, that all of us are now in Christ. We are found in him. Well, why does that matter to be found in him? Well, let me ask you this. What's the alternative of being found in him? I would say it this way. We could either be found in him or we could be lost in ourselves, which I think relates to the verses that we heard about last week. Lost in our own self, our achievements, our accomplishments, or be found in him. Well, let's talk about this even further. What's this word found mean? Well, it could just be the opposite of the word lost, right? I once was lost, but now I'm found. I'm found in Christ. Take it a step further. I think about courtroom scenes where a jury comes out after they have deliberated uh, on, on a case. And what do they say? The, the lead juror stands up and says, we the jurors find the defendant and then you fill in the blank, guilty or not guilty or whatever their verdict is, right? They find this person. They've looked over the case. They've looked over the evidence. And what they have found or what they've discovered is that this person is whatever they decide they are. And what Paul is doing here is sort of trying to explain, I, I want you to look at my life, but I don't want you to see all of the evidence of what I've contributed. I want you to see Christ. I want you to see me in Christ. That's how I want you to discover me. I want you to look at me with a different set of lenses, with Jesus-centered lenses, and look at me and say, oh my gosh, this person is in Christ. I want you to define me by Christ. So if we put the whole phrase together, found in me, found in Christ, now what we're talking about is identity. That that Paul wants to be identified with Christ. He wants to be defined by Christ. We talked about found. Let's talk about in him. Because this is a good thing to talk about, and it sounds cool, but it's still just a little abstract. What does that mean to be found in him? And as I was going through this message and, and, and the verse, there was a video clip that kept coming through my mind of how I might picture it, because I tend to be a little bit more visual, and I want to try to find an illustration that could sort of capture this idea of what it means to be found in him, found in Christ, because that's sort of esoteric and abstract, right? So I want to show you this video clip. Uh, from a movie, and it's a little bit cheesy. It's from this movie called The Saint, which I think was made in the mid-90s. And the premise of the movie, or the premise of the clip at least, is this woman is trying to run away from these people that are chasing her, and she's in Russia, and it's these Russian mobsters that are trying to get her and harm her in some way, but she has to run to safety. Take a look. Back up, I said. 
Love that. It's intense. You feeling your blood pumping right now? Maybe not. You're like, that's a cheesy clip right there. But did you catch what she said as she's running? I'm an American. I'm an American. Open the gate. And, and so I don't know why, but this vision keeps coming into my mind when I think about this idea of being found in Christ is she's got to get through all of these barriers, right, and get away from her dilemma. And then once she's in that gate, once she's within the embassy, she's secure, she's protected, she's cared for. And these men close the gate, and now this person that's chasing her can't get at her anymore. She's safe. And I think about this idea of being found in Christ I feel this sense of security, this safety, right? And not only that, but she says, I'm an American, which triggers the soldiers to open up the gate and to let her in. It's the only way she's going to be able to get into the embassy. So she's got the right status in order to let her in. And then she's protected. Now, I want to be very, 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 very clear here, okay? Because I recognize there's people in this room and watching online that are coming from all different backgrounds. I want to be abundantly clear that what I'm not saying, what I'm not talking about is this idea of the greatness of America or American exceptionalism. That's not what we're talking about here. And I don't want to confuse the greatness of America with what it means to be found in Christ. The two are completely different things. But one thing that does connect well with me in this, in this clip here is this idea is that she says, I'm an American. She talks about her status, her identity, but she does nothing to earn that or deserve that status. She just is. She was just born in America. But now because of that, she gets access to the privileges of being an American and getting to go into the embassy. But the biggest difference and where this illustration actually starts to break down a little bit more, is that while in the movie clip she gets inside the embassy, she is safe and secure physically, there's a difference when we are in Christ. See, we're, we're secure in the sense of our identity and our soul and our heart is secure in Christ. But the major difference is that it doesn't necessarily change our physical circumstances. We don't get safety in that way, in our external, physical circumstances. It's a major difference. And that's why it's so important to talk about these verses within the greater context of what Paul is trying to talk about here. It's important to understand what it means to be found in Christ, to have our identity secure in him. Why? Because he is not protected from physical harm. He's writing this letter from a jail cell. Why is he in jail? Because he has proclaimed that Jesus is Lord within the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire, what they understand is that Caesar is Lord. So you're going to say Jesus is Lord, well, you're going to go to jail or you're going to lose your life for that. And not only that, not only is Paul writing from prison, writing from a place of suffering, but he's writing to people who are also either experiencing suffering or about to experience suffering and persecution. See, they're in Philippi, which is also a Roman colony, and it was a Roman colony that was specifically known for its extreme nationalism and patriotism to Rome. But now you've got the small group of people who are proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. Yeah, they're going to be in trouble for that. So Paul's writing to them to say, you've got to have a secure identity in Christ. You've got to be found in Christ and be secure in that because you're going to face suffering. 
it's not all going to be great most of the time. But if you know who you are and whose you are and where you were found, ultimately, eternally, it's going to be okay. And rejoice in that. Paul's talking about identity in the context of suffering. In Christ has to be understood within that context. Now, here's another reason why I think it's important to make this distinction of Christ in me versus us in Christ. Right, so if I talk about Christ in me, uh, that's personal and it's good, but if I, never, if I never grow beyond that, if I only think about just Christ in me and that my faith is just about me and my life and it's just personal to me, then I run the risk, I run the danger of it being all about me still. And what I can do is I can actually make Jesus into my own personal Jesus. I can make Jesus look like however I want him to look. Conveniently, Jesus believes and thinks in all of the same things that I believe in and think about. And then I just conform Jesus to my image if I'm not careful, if I don't continue to grow beyond this understanding that it's actually much more of a communal understanding of Jesus, to be part of the body of Christ that is all in Jesus, in Christ. See, but if it's just about me and if it's just personal, then what happens is if I experience suffering or I experience a loss, then what happens is I take it personally. It's an attack against me, and I make it all about me. But see, Jesus has a different mindset for this new community of faith that's growing around him, centered around him and in him. He says this in one of his most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, to a whole group of people. In the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 11, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you. What's that about? When they persecute you, when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. People are going to oppose you, absolutely, but it's not actually you that they're opposing. They're opposing the me inside of you if you are truly in me. Jesus is saying this to a whole crowd. It's important to talk about that. He's, he's not just speaking to an individual. There's a whole crowd of people on a hillside. So this is where our southern brothers and sisters translation of the Bible helps us a little bit. Blessed are y'all when people insult y'all. You get the point, right? The yous are plural in most of the New Testament, which is absolutely crucial for us to understand because this is now a communal effort. And even when attacks come our way, when loss occurs, when, when suffering happens, not only are we a unified community, but now our communal identity becomes a shared experience in Christ. So when Christ's body is beaten, we, also referred to as the body of Christ, are beaten. It's been said this way before, that when one of us hurts, we all should hurt. See, what Paul is doing here is setting the people up for what's to come, for suffering, to have an entire unified body, having a communal understanding of what it means for us to be in Christ so that whatever comes their way, they're able to stand firm in who they are and whose they are. 
We're going to talk more about this a little bit next week, but I absolutely want to drive this point home that our identity must be secure in Christ in order to face whatever comes our way. Because when it happens, not if, but when loss and pain and suffering happens, we're not going to be able to look to our titles, our achievements, our medals, and get comfort and peace from them. We want to look to Christ. Or as Paul says, a righteousness on my own that comes from the law. This is a very Jewish statement that Paul is making here. Because what he had appealed to earlier is sort of his Jewishness, right? His tribe that he was born into, the tribe of Benjamin, or his understanding of the law, the Torah. He had a vast understanding and knowledge of what it meant to be Jewish and to understand what the life of a Jew looks like. But see, he doesn't look to that as a sense of righteousness to give him right standing with God, acceptance, belonging, whatever word you want to put in there. I tried to think about this in more of a modern context because I don't necessarily understand Jewish context of 2,000 years ago, and most of us probably don't as well. And so I thought more of a modern context, a modern status that we think about. I worked in youth ministry, student ministries, so 6th grade to 12th grade students for about 10 years at my last church. It was an incredible experience, but one of the things that we recognized in that time is that uh, this particular church was in a very, very affluent community. They had all the things, money, status, academic achievements. They were really good at sports as well. All of their sports at these high schools were successful, always went to state. They were very good, very good at everything. But strangely, the teen suicide rate in that area was abnormally high. And on top of that, the divorce rate was over 60%. So while students were struggling with mental health at a very high rate, and marriages and families were crumbling, over half of the families were crumbling, there was still this sort of unwritten, unspoken pressure to maintain this status of success. Incredible pressure on these students. So what do you think we talked about a majority of the time? Identity. These kids didn't know who they were, who they were supposed to be. They were just fed all of these different messages from the outside culture that they were inside of, breathing, living this culture of status, success, achievement. That's who they were supposed to be. And they were falling crumbling underneath that pressure. So we had to continue over and over and over to talk about these aren't the things that make you. Your identity, who you are, has to be found in Christ. Well, then to take it a step further, I thought that after I got out of student ministries and started working with adults, well, all of that would change, of course, because adults don't deal with identity crisis. Nope. <laughs> nope. In fact, it was maybe even worse in some cases. It was just packaged a little bit differently with adults, dealing with all the same things, just a little bit worse maybe. See, students are different because they're still forming their identity, and that makes sense because of where they are developmentally and biologically. They're still forming these things. They're still figuring these things out, but they're honest about it, and they're willing to talk about it. Adults, whole different ballgame. See, the problem with most adults is that the struggle comes with having 
deep insecurities because what they realize is if they don't have an identity or they're not secure in that identity, then shame tells them that they're supposed to have one by now, and so they instead try to cover it up. But then fortunately, uh, social media provides a platform for you to make up an identity. If you don't have one, you can just make one up. You can be whoever you want to be and show the world that on a screen behind a keyboard without really wrestling with who you are on the inside and whose you are. Paul says, my righteousness, my own personal achievements, my ability or my desire to try to be accepted by God through my own effort does not work. It fails. Every single time it fails. And it's the difference between being found in him or just lost in ourselves. Paul wants to be found in him. And so Life Church, I want to tell you, you cannot find your identity in your height, your weight, your skin color, your income level, your job title, your social media posts, your Valentine's Day gifts or lack thereof, your political party affiliation, your Bible knowledge, or even your church attendance. You just can't find your identity or be defined by those things. Paul says it's a righteousness that comes from God. It comes from him, and that's why it's a privilege. Because you can't earn it, and you don't deserve it, and yet he gives it to you anyway. Righteousness that comes from God. You cannot measure your life by your doing. I think it's interesting that we're called human beings, not human doings. You are known by your being. How do we do this? How do we live into that? Because if we do live into that, this idea of being found in him, if we live into that, it changes everything. It changes our attitude. It changes our actions. Maybe a better way of saying it is our status affects our steps. Our status affects our steps. I want to illustrate it in this way. When I was a uh, young elementary kid and into middle school, I'd stay overnight at different people's houses, my friends' houses, and hang out with them. And sometimes they would stay overnight at my house and we'd hang out, we'd eat dinner together, watch movies, do whatever. And sometimes if I'd stay at my friend's house, uh, we'd eat dinner and then we'd go and do our thing and watch a movie. Well, uh, I know this might be hard to convince you of, but I'm hungry all the time. I know I don't look like it. In fact, I'm hungry right now. So if you have a donut, just throw it up on stage. I'll get to it eventually. But we'd, you know, eat dinner, and then an hour or two later, I'd be hungry. My friend wouldn't, and I'd be like, well, come on, I'm hungry. Can we get something to eat? He said, just go upstairs. Go to the kitchen and see what you could find. I was like, uh, okay. And I feel hesitant about it because, you know, it's not my house. It's not my things. It's not my food. I don't know what I can or cannot have. So I, I'd kind of tiptoe up the stairs. I didn't want to wake anybody up. I'd look around and see what was available. I'd maybe even just peek in the fridge, grab something, close it, and then go back downstairs. Well, sauerkraut, that's not what I wanted. And I'd go back downstairs and I'd eat whatever I could find, and, but ultimately it wasn't probably the thing that I wanted, and so I'd still end up actually being hungry after that. Now contrast that with a few weeks later, and I'd invite my friend over to my house. And we'd have dinner, and then, you know, an hour or two passes, and I'm ready for my sixth meal of the day. 
And, um, and I would say, hey, I'm going to go downstairs. You want anything to eat? They say, no, I only eat three meals a day. Um, I'm going to go downstairs and I'm going to get something to eat. Well, it's totally different now because now I'm banging down the stairs, making all kinds of noise, looking in the cupboards, banging cupboard doors, looking for plates. I open up the fridge and I keep it open. There's nothing in this fridge, just regs because it defrosted overnight. Anyway, I'm staring, I'm standing here, I'm looking, what do I want? Maybe eggs and bacon, maybe cinnamon toast crunch, except we don't buy name brands, it's cinnamon squares, so I'll eat that instead. And I'd take my sweet time and get whatever it is that I wanted to eat. And then I'd go back upstairs, hang out with my friend, and my tummy's finally full, at least for another hour or so. Our status affects our steps. Right, when I'm at my friend's house, it's not my house, it's, it's not my food, it's not my fridge, and I, I don't really know what I have access to. I'm hungry, I, I need something to eat to fill my body, but because I have this hesitancy to know what's available to me, I don't fully step into that. I don't feel comfortable, uh, you know, just hanging out in the kitchen and standing in front of the fridge for a couple minutes, or I, I don't want to wake up his parents, and so my status of not being their kid and not living in their house affects my steps. I'm much more hesitant, I'm much more tense, and so I go right back downstairs and I'm actually still hungry. But in my house, it, it, it's my house, it's my parents. If I'm hungry, I'm gonna go down those stairs confidently with a bit of swagger. I know, yeah, I know what's in the fridge. I know what's in the cupboards. I know what I can look for. And I know how much time I can spend in the kitchen and not have to worry about it at all. And I didn't do anything to earn it. My parents did all of the purchasing of the food. It's their house, but it doesn't change my status. I'm their kid, and so I have access to anything that I want. And now, because of that, because of that provision, I'm full, and I'm good, and I'm happy. Our status affects our steps. Now let me just take that a step further, a little, a little bit deeper. Sometimes I might go to the fridge in my house and because we were really lean in our home, didn't always have everything that we wanted, I might go to the fridge and, oh, there's not, there's not as much there this time. Shoot. Well, okay. But here's the thing, I, I don't question my status at that point. I don't have this sort of existential crisis of like, well, who am I anymore? There's nothing in the fridge. Who are my parents? Do they even love me anymore? Do they even care about me to not fill up the fridge or the cupboards with food? Maybe they just don't want me as part of their family anymore. I guess I'm just going to have to leave. No, it sounds ridiculous, right? Like, I'm not questioning my status as my parents' kid or that they care for me or my value or my worth. I'm not questioning it at that moment. But we do this in our faith, don't we? See, our status affects our steps. And, and maybe we call ourselves Christian, and, and life is good, and we go to the sort of cosmic fridge of God, and we look in, and oh yeah, there's all kinds of material blessings. I've got a family, and we're healthy, and I've got a job, and I've got a car, and I've got a house, I've got all of the things. God is good, life is good, hashtag blessed. But the moment we go to that fridge of God, oh, there's, there's not any material blessings in there anymore. Or, or we experience a loss or some kind of pain or suffering or a diagnosis. 
or our boss at work is incredibly hard to deal with, or there's a whole bunch of unexpected bills that we weren't planning for. We absolutely question our status in that moment. Well, who am I? What, what did I do wrong? And not only do we question our status, we question God's status. God, who are you? Where are you? Why aren't you in this situation? Where did you go? Do you even care about me anymore? Do you even value me anymore? And then maybe even worse, we start to question those around us and blame maybe even the body. What's your fault that I'm going through this? You don't have enough faith for me. See, our status affects our steps, but that can be positive and negative. And if our status, or at least a misinformed or ill-informed status, is one of, God, I don't even know you anymore, I don't even believe in you anymore, then that affects our steps, and what we do is we step away from God, maybe even altogether. We have to understand our status because of suffering, Paul says. So righteousness is our status, but not so that everything is safe and good and easy. No, it's so that we can think beyond that. And when we go to the fridge of God, we're not just looking for material blessings. No, what we might pull out sometimes is just purely, simply love and joy and peace, the fruit of the Spirit, which you cannot quantify. Our status is righteousness, God says, through Paul. How? How can that be? Well, this is what he says. Through faith in Christ from God. I kind of brought some sentences together a little bit, but I want to get this point across. Through faith in Christ from God, which means it's not something that you and I can muster up or work for or earn. We just can't. See, this is also where that video clip kind of breaks down just a little bit, right? Like, she has to be the one to run to the embassy. She has to say, I'm an American, in order to trigger the soldiers to open up the gate, to let her in, and then to close it again so that she's protected. Now, she's got the right status, absolutely. Lucky for her, she's able to say, I'm an American, and probably eventually be able to prove that. But she has to do all the work in order to run away from her dilemma and ultimately be secure. See, the difference in Christ is that what Paul says to the Roman church, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While our status was still considered sinful, we had the wrong status, even then Christ came and died for us. See, in the movie, she has to do all the work, but In Christ, God didn't wait for us to run to him. Christ came to us. Christ stepped into our dilemma and took on our dilemma upon himself. And he gives us a new identity, brings us into himself, gathers us into himself, calls us his own, and calls us righteous. We didn't do anything to earn it or work toward it. 
But I'm going to take this even a step further. See, this verse, through faith in Christ, is good, and it's exciting to read it in that way, but then when you actually read the fuller translation of what that verse says, it actually says, through faith of Christ and from Christ, which has a different feel to it, doesn't it? It carries a different mindset. So in one hand, through faith in Christ makes it feel like it's my little portion of faith that I have to sort of decide where I want to put that, maybe in my income level or maybe in my, my, my job or maybe in my relationships, and I can decide even to put it in Christ. And, and that's maybe good for a little while, but the, if we understand it in the way that it was meant to be written, it's through faith of Christ or the faithfulness from Christ which means it's his faith and his faithfulness that works on our behalf that he just gives to us as a gift and now we simply just get to rest in it. See, we try to gain acceptance in our world and in our culture through so many different ways, but it's all based on our effort and the work that we put into it. And some of that's not all bad, but what we do is we take that culture and the air that we breathe and we project that onto Christianity and expect the same exact result. But see, the very nature of the gospel, and that word gospel means good news, which means it has to be good, is that Christ does all the work. He does all of the work. And then we get the privilege of being found in him. It's the ultimate, you complete me. Because in him we become complete. See, Paul says to the Philippian church as he opens up this letter, he says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work within you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. When Christ returns, that's when we become complete. Would you please stand with me? I don't know what insecurities you may be dealing with. If you still sense that you lack an identity, you don't know who you are or whose you are, I want to encourage you, and this might sound different than what you've heard before if you've been to a church. I want to encourage you to be found in him. To recognize that it's a privilege that you cannot earn. That it's his faithfulness working on your behalf. You get to stand in it confidently, knowing that your status can then affect your steps. And if that's you, you're needing that sense of security in your identity and you want to be found in him, I want to invite you to close your eyes with me and pray. And you can pray in your own words, but I'll pray on your behalf as well. Got to look for security in so many ways. Only to come to find that most of those ways are pretty temporary. God, I want something eternal. I want something that lasts. I want something that can stick. And so God, I look to you. We look to you. We want to be found in you and in your body and be secure. 
And so God, I run away from my dilemma and I run away from this effort to try to achieve a certain status. And now I want to rest in you. I want to be found in you. For those of us in the room, maybe we know who we are and whose we are, but maybe we're up against some pretty big challenges, some pain, some suffering, and that is real. And it's hard. And we grieve. And all of that's part of the process. But sometimes it can shake our identity. And so God, give us the boldness and the courage to remain in you even in the face of hardship. We trust you, God. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more information about Life Church Canton or other churches in the Life Church Network, text I'm New to 734 349 3475 or fill out the form linked in the show notes below and someone from the church will reach out to you with more information. If you came to Life Church Canton for the first time this past weekend, we would love to know about it. We believe that life isn't meant to be lived in isolation, but we want to connect with you and learn to live like Jesus in community together. If you want to email the show, you can do that at podcast at lifechurchcanton.org. You can subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying it, please share it with a friend and leave us a review. Once again, my name is Sam Parham, and you've been listening to the Life Church Canton podcast. Have a great week, everybody.